Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? Well, I learned a few things today. And, and I sound like an old man saying this. I, I realize this. But this whole kind of, uh, you know, Nike collection slash people paying big money for like various Nike shoes has uh, I, I, I know I had no insight into that world until today. And your teenage son discovered them. Is that how? No, that thank God. Thank God. It's a friend of mine's son, not mine, uh, not my own. Did you know about this? I mean, shoes have been a big deal for a long time. Not that I've okay ever participated. But I mean, like people paying thousands and thousands of dollars for a pair of Nikes. That's just like it's limited nothing... edition. Not really. No. I mean, maybe they don't produce a bunch of, but they're they're just a Nike shoe. They're just like an Air Jordan. There's nothing special about them. They're not laced with gold or anything. But they're Jordans or they're LeBrons or they're whatever, right? To make a very long story short, for the purposes of an IndyCar podcast, um, I went to a hipster doofus store today. So with this good, good luck, good luck tying this back into IndyCar. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I will be able to do that, by the way. I went to a okay. hipster doofus store with uh, today with uh, my friend's kid, right, who dropped uh, 600 bucks on two pairs of shoes. I swear to they one was like a Nike Dunk uh, low, just kind of a standard shoe, black and white. He wouldn't you wouldn't even take a second glance at it. That was two hundred eighty dollars. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then another shoe they bought for his brother, which is commendable. But just also two hundred eighty dollars. But just they just look like normal Nikes. So I asked the guy there, I was like, how the whole thing worked, and it's just like they don't buy anything directly from Nike. It's like this whole, it's like a curated collection of like stuff that they basically resell. And like when a guy comes, in, he had a guy come in the other day that sold his collection to him because he had to buy a house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean it's kind of fascinating. And um, uh, my tie into IndyCar is that uh, there was a tweeter who tweets a lot about IndyCar, um, and he or and or she said, oh, I want this pair. And it was this pair of Air Jordan 4s or something like that, which are going for like two or $3,000 now. It's a whole different world. Uh, there was a, a fishing lure curb. I know you and I are fishermen. There's is a spoon, right, with a treble hook? Yeah. But it had Supreme written on it, and, you know, the brand Supreme. Sure. And uh, so that, that made the lure cost $40. Okay. Anyway, did you did you buy one? No. I think you in particular would have lost your mind in the store. You would have just <laughs> your 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 jaw would have been just on the ground, just like not believing any of it. It was eye opening. I'm not passing judgment. I mean, I understand fashion, right? And art. I do. Well, in the sense that you know the value is in the eye of the beholder. So right. I, I get all that, um, and I'm not trying to be. Like, you know, oh, that's ridiculous. I, I understand it all. But it's interesting to me that, like, fashion now has become, like the rest of our world, you know, more casualized, right? To where now, uh, you know, you can really pay a lot of money for a pair of sneakers. All right, Kerb, let's, uh, let's stop uh, advertising our irrelevancy in today's modern world and get straight into IndyCar. Well, um, as we... Uh Work our way back in IndyCar. I've got the answer for you on your uh, fascination with Zach Veach. Okay. 
The 2021 season marked the end of the 27-year-old's full-time participation in motor racing, and uh, he's currently trying to get back into IMSA. And while he's doing that, he's been coaching. He started coaching Ernie Francis Jr. with the Force Indy team in Indy Lights. So that's what Zach Beach is doing at the moment. Okay. Well, the update on Zach Beach's career. Where are they now? Where, Where are they now? Where are they now? And we still need to do that interview with uh, What's-His-Face. Yes, we do. Hope he still remembers who you are. He probably doesn't, but I'll, I'll remind him. And I think that'd be a good interview. I, what I really liked about him is that, you know, he he didn't care. You know, he he knew, you know, he he he, he didn't care. Sure, sure. He wasn't holding on to anything. He wasn't, like, reliving the glory days. You know, he just, you know. Once he could stop driving those cars, he lost interest in, you know, anything. So he just stopped. Where to start, where to start, where to start. Um, Why don't we start with St. Louis? You were the man on the ground. Tell us us the vibe, the scene. Okay, I will. Set the scene for us. Okay. So can I – this might sound like a bit of a a ranting diatribe, and I don't want it to. What I'm trying to say here is more just a statement of fact as I see it. Right. And I'm not claiming to have all the answers and I'm not claiming that, uh, you know, if so and so did this or so and so that things would get better. I'm just to me, this is just a, a pure statement of the fact from a guy who went to the race on the spur of the moment. I flew I flew to St. Louis. In fact, I flew not only myself, three other people with me in tow. Right. The last second made the decision Friday night to fly there Saturday morning to attend the race. And then leave the next day. It's and it's you know let's face it, not without expense, right? Sure, sure. Two ho- two hotel rooms, a uh, few meals, uh, the tickets to the race itself, uh, the flights obviously four flights the last second. So you would think, I, I mean, to me, I'm like the you know the kind of customer, if you will, that IndyCar would die for, right? Right. To be right. Okay. So I went. It looked like getting into the race that it was fairly crowded, but once you got into the track itself, it looked very empty, right? Right. And um, there wasn't much in the way of vendors or um, or uh, you know even of, of anything, right? Um, I mean, there was there are a few around, but not, you know not. It reminded me of that race I went to in Fontana a few years ago, where there was you know five thousand people there or whatever. Um, just kind of that vibe on the outside, right? It didn't feel like much of an event and then when we got up into our seats which were which were good seats um that i had bought at the last second um you know you realize that like you know the track is for whatever reason you know it looks empty okay i'm guessing fifteen thousand people there curb all right um so like my wife says to me like wow nobody's here okay now my wife doesn't know anything about anything right so you know that's just her as a naive impression right and, to clarify, to clarify, you mean about racing? Correct. Right. Although we could extrapolate that into several other subjects, but I won't. She's, she's a highly intelligent uh, lady who's got a lot on the ball. Yes. Yes, Kerb. Thank you. I'm just saying I, the only reason I mentioned that comment is just because I think to like somebody coming for the first time, that's the way they're going to see that. And then, you know, the two kids I had with us, uh, 13 and 14 year old, I mean, I think, you know, it was just kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. Right. They're just tagging along. It just the whole 
thing just lacked like any feeling of importance or an event. Okay. Right. Just for a start, for a start, it just, it just lacked that feeling. Once the race started after the first lap, which, you know, in that, at that track goes by in a, you know, an instant, right. They almost immediately started to like, everybody's like an equidistant from the next guy in front of them. Right. Just right. going sure. in circles. Right. Sure. Right. And nobody's doing anything. And nobody's able to pass. Nobody's able to do anything. It's just you're just going around in circles. OK. Mm-hmm. And that reminded me of going to like NASCAR races in Richmond, Virginia. You know, <laughs> we just felt like you're just, I mean, it was packed of people watching it. But you just sat there and it's like they're just going around in circles. It was it was just, you know, mind numbing. And then the racing, you know, because of, I guess, reasons which we I, we can go into if you want. OK, but pretty clear. I was like they had to move the race up because of rain. So so it was probably it was a little hotter than it needed to be. So the, the for whatever reason, for these cars, the track was too hot. OK, wasn't clean enough. Um, wasn't rubbered in enough. And then even if it was rubbered in enough, you know, after not so many laps, they get so much marbles that they can't go up there anyways, right? The, the word that I'm going to, you're probably going to hear from me often is like, there's nothing compelling about it. Nothing. And then, you know, they're kind of incessantly talking about the rain. The rain finally did come. And at that point, we left. Okay. We did, we were not going to hang around two or three hours. Yeah, I, I didn't think they'd get the race off again. Not that it looked like the rain was that threatening, but I just figured they'd call it quits. So can I pause you there for a second? Yes. Um, when you say they were talking about the rain, is it like the PA announcer or something or what? Yeah, every, like I was listening to it on the scanner, right? So like the guys on NBC were talking about the rain and, you know, everybody was. Yeah, you could hear like the announcer talking about, you know, rain coming, uh, I, I guess trying to add drama to it. But I think all it really did was kind of make it even worse. Uh, yeah, they, they don't know how to not say something over and over and over again, unfortunately. I So I had the even more unique experience of getting back to the hotel room and actually watching the conclusion of the race on Peacock. Okay? Right, right. Which, which by the way, was way more compelling than being there. I'm guessing those last 40-some laps were more compelling if you were there, too. I mean, than the first part of the race. Fair. Fair, but I do think like somehow like the the uh, the TV cherry picking, you know, what's like the closest you know battle on the racetrack, right? Sure. Somehow makes it seem more exciting than it was like there in person. I honestly believe that. At the end of the whole thing, um, you, you can't say I again. This is not a complaint. It's it's but it's more of just a comment. Is like I think it's a real challenge given the current circumstances. To make a compelling oval race in IndyCar. I think it's a huge challenge. And I think the, the danger of this is that, like, you know, Iowa had a you know great start with Hy-Vee and all this, this thing. But my question is, how many people are going to come back? Right. How many people had a you know similar experience to what I had in, in St. Louis and just, uh, yeah, uh, no, I'm not, I'd rather I'll just watch it on TV or not at all. Kerb, I'll, I'll let you blast into this in a second, but let me just finish my thought. And that is this. I think it's a huge challenge. Uh, and I don't claim to have all the answers. But in my opinion, they 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 have to a have cars that can race each other. Um, and you, there's a hundred different ways to get there. Right. You can have it at a time of day when it's cooler. 
You can have a different car or chassis. You can have a different downforce setup. I, I, you know, there's we can talk about all the different permutations of how to get there, but they have to have the ability to pass and they have to have the ability that cars that can race each other. And then I think they have to work on making it an event, making it like you feel like you're you're doing something special that day instead of, I don't know, walking across the street to watch, you know, two, two cockroaches race up a wall. I just think if IndyCar wants to survive on ovals, that's, you know, they've got to they've got to address those, at least those two issues on a bare minimum. So I'm interested to hear you say that um, there weren't hardly any vendors there. Does that mean concessions? Does that mean, you know, shirt, T-shirts and hats and things? Or yes. Was that both? All of the above. Yep. Because I had read that the promoters were excited about the ticket sales, that it was running ahead of, you know, like 2019, the last year before the pandemic. And some people I saw on Twitter were speculating that, you know, the crowd didn't look good because they moved the start time up half an hour and people were shared away by the rain. And so you could maybe, you could maybe rationalize, you know, the, the crowd not looking good because they moved the, the race time up and that kind of thing. But it's hard to rationalize that there's no uh, presence at the track in terms of concessions, in terms of yeah, well, there know, was uh, mer- merchandise and that kind of thing, and and just whatever else it is. It's so I'll give you an I'll give you an example. Okay, so I was in that the the grandstand on the far end, right? The the on the be, between one. one and between one and two. Yep. Okay. Right. And there was no concession under there. There was nothing. There was a guy selling beer out of his cooler. I take that back. But other than that, there was no concession. Right. So then all the concessions were kind of behind the main straightaway. And there were, you know, there were like you could buy a T-shirt, you could buy a tchotchke or, you know, um, but it wasn't much. I felt I felt like Portland last year felt like more of an event than this one did. Honestly, but I'm just trying to give you my impressions. And and, and I'm a fan. Right. I'm right, a fan. Sure. And if, right. if they can't get me excited, then I think they got problems. I think they, you know, my bias would be fix the car, right? Get a new chassis. But, you know, anyways, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to use this podcast to, to, to proclaim answers to that question. It makes me wonder uh, how long, how much longer, you know, a guy like Bob Marito is going to be invested in the event. He's been invested in it since it, you know, came back to St. Louis. Every sponsor, I don't care who they are, tends to lose interest after a while. And, you know, they brought NASCAR there and filled the joint up uh, last month. Um, it's disappointing to hear. It looked like when I went to buy the tickets that the place was, you know, like not a sellout, but, you know, definitely tight. And then, you know, I was like, oh, I'm lucky to find four seats in this great, you know, you know. Well, I was surprised to see people sitting over, you know, around turn two at all, because usually they don't open those stands. It maybe what like, I mean, maybe it's possible weather played a, a bigger role than, than it's, we're supposing. It's, it's absolutely possible. It's absolutely possible. It looked like to me, Curb, that you know, watching the video of, of the previous race, that the crowd was about the same, similar, you know. Like last year, you mean? Twenty one. Yes. yes. Yeah, but they were, you know, you're still kind of semi dealing with COVID, and they were. What I had read was they were running ahead of, you know, pre-COVID race the last pre-COVID race. They were running ahead of that race for ticket sales, which was encouraging. And um, and maybe they sold those tickets and people just chickened out because of the weather. But uh, um, but still, it's disappointing to hear about your experience. I know my daughter and son-in-law went 
it's probably been five or six years ago now. They had a blast, they said. It was a night race. I think it was a good crowd. And uh, of course, they went with some friends. I hope I hope Hy-Vee got banged for their buck in Iowa. It's just hard to envision somebody maintaining that level of energy and putting an event together. Yeah, when uh, it's a, when it's 90% humidity and 95 degrees during the middle of the day. Yeah. But, you know, they, they, they do all these permutations. They have races at certain times for NBC, right? And I understand all the reasons that they want to be on NBC, but you got to want my, – my view is that maybe there's a – again, maybe. I'm not claiming to have the answers here, but long term, there's – you know, if you want to maintain that event at that location, you probably need to have it at a time when things are racier and more comfortable for the attendees regardless yeah. of the – TV implications. If you want to maintain that that race, had encouraging ratings, I think, right? Um, stronger than last year on NBC, SN. Uh, this year being on USA Network, and even the ratings after the rain delay, I guess, were decent considering the amount of delay there was. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I was surprised. I kept thinking that they were going to break away from USA Network, and you know, say hey, we're going over to CNBC or. We're just going to Peacock exclusive yeah. for the rest of the night or something, you know, because yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. in theory, in theory, because this wasn't even on NBC, this was on USA Network. In theory, that was the only window you could get on USA Network, right? It was at six o'clock Eastern time. But yet they stuck with it. However late that race went after the rain. I mean, they stayed on the USA Network through the rain delay, through the rest of the race. So it makes you ask the question, if you can stick with that race all night on USA Network, then maybe next year you could just schedule it. At eight or nine o'clock Eastern time. Yeah, and, may, and maybe and maybe all races that you feel compelled to have in the middle of the heat in the middle of the day, when they should be night races, should be on the USA Network. Maybe that's the maybe that's the answer. Well, yeah, it'd be nice if um, if it could work out that way for everybody's benefit. That that uh, oval races in particular were only shown at night. Uh, obviously, the 500 uh, excluded from that, but Texas, Iowa. Gateway, I think they've all proven to be better shows, both on TV and probably in person, when they're run on Saturday nights. And if you can make the case that USA Network can show those, be good for the network and good for IndyCar, then that'd be great. It's all about maintaining these events. If you continue to abuse the fan, either you know sweat them to death or or bore them to death, they're not going to return. And how many ovals have they killed just doing exactly that in the name of television? All these things that make sense to somebody, but they're not making sense to the fan and drawing them in. Yeah, exactly. All right, Curb, shall we move on? Um, Curb, you made a point last podcast, and I, I just want to reinforce this point. You know, everybody's like, uh, you know, now you're even hearing rumblings. Oh, screw St. Louis. Let's let's move to some place where it's, you know, they want us or it's better. You know what I mean? That's like, and these people that tweet about this and talk about this, I'm always marveling. It's like, how many ovals do you think are out there? You know, you think there's like one – IndyCar oval in every state that you just pick one and go to it. You know, it's it's it just seems crazy. There's just not that many places to go that are suitable for IndyCars. And the one that nobody talks about, as you pointed out, Les, is is the one that they should go to again is Pocono. Right. Sure. But it's never mentioned. Never. You know, they'll talk about Kentucky. They'll talk about Richmond. They'll talk about anywhere. But they will not talk about Pocono. It's maddening. And they should. It's a great track. I think it puts on a great show. You know, outside of a major metropolitan area, but at the same time, it's in the middle of a bunch of major metropolitan areas within a couple hours drive. And, and it wasn't making huge gains, but I still think it was slowly building up when they ran their 
uh, you know, in the mid-teens uh, before they gave up on the track. And uh, I keep hoping with NASCAR being reduced to one date there instead of two every summer that, that they'll find a way to make a deal that works out for IndyCar and Pocono. A track built for IndyCars, by the way. I mean, I was there once and uh, hope to go back again. It was a really fun event, I thought. Yeah, it was compelling. Yeah. Okay, Curb, moving on. You also pointed out to me, I thought this was a really interesting uh, statistic, uh, which, I mean, I guess we all know it, but you just kind of forget it. Scott Dixon has only 28 poles. Uh, when they put the list out, because power tied uh, Andretti. There's Helio at like 50, right? He's not too far behind, really. Um, Bobby Unser, I was kind of surprised, has got 49 or 48. Uh, and then you go down Dario in 30s, that makes sense. About Bourdais in the 30s, that makes sense. All of a sudden, Dixon down there, 28, just, just didn't make sense. I mean, for yeah, all his success. For all um, the victories, right? For all, all the, the victories, yeah. yeah. The ratio is incredible, yeah. Yeah, just really surprising. Um, and Elia, as you pointed out, has like 50 poles. I guess it means he's a better racer than he's qualifier, and it's probably preferable. But it's still just surprising for all of his success. Can I point out one other thing about the poles? Yes. Somebody put out a stat that, that both um, both Mario and Will Power had, had won the pole at their 266th event, I think it was. But for Mario, that was pole number 55, and for, for Power, that was pole number 67. And Mario would take 360-some races to get his 67 poles. But I, I did the math on Power. That means that Power has won the pole 25% of the races he's run. I, mean, I thought that was mind-blowing stat. That one That's out of every four races, he's on the pole. That's another remarkable statistic, Curb. You're right. I mean, you know, and it wasn't like he was like always Team Penske either. But it just was a surprising statistic to realize 25% of the races he's on the pole. Yeah, even more amazing. Yeah. Curb, um, you're a denizen of uh, Indianapolis, if we've stated before. Right. What the hell is up with the new Andretti headquarters? What is that all about? It's impressive if they pull it off. And um, was it t- was it 200 acres? Did I read that correctly? It's 200 million dollars investment for f- over 500,000 square feet, which you know compared to Ray Hall's new shop, I think it's like 100 or 120,000 square feet. When you think of racing in Indianapolis, you don't think of Fishers. And, no. Uh, so really shocking. The only thing I can see there is uh, Michael wants to be next to the. Uh, the metro airport there uh, you know yeah i'm the sure that's part road of it. to jet in and out but um but yeah it's it was a surprising location to me like i said i'm trying to figure out what it's all about it's on 90 acres curb i apologize i misread it but 90 acres which is still <laughs> a lot right yeah oh yeah um and then 200 million dollars and like you know these it's not like he's got an f1 team and no but it sounds like it sounds like he's making the bet on it or is he just trying to shoehorn his way in by doing that? It's got to be, a, uh, you know, I'm showing a commitment. I'm bringing the F1 style or whatever you want to call it to, to America. What else do you want me to do, guys? It, the whole announcement and everything else just strikes me as an agenda. Like there's a clearly an ulterior agenda other than just having a nice headquarters. I hate to say it, but I kind of question the wisdom of, Basing your Formula One team in Indianapolis. <laughs> I mean, granted, there's like three races in America, maybe Canada, Mexico. I guess there's five, you know, here in North America. So maybe, maybe it isn't so strange. But um, 
like Carl Haas has an American operation, but it's in no, Charlotte, that, right? I mean, it's like on the East Coast or something. Yeah, but I mean, they got a European operation. They're all in basically the same area of England, right? They're all in a. Yeah, they, yeah. They, but, say, they say from one hill you can see almost all the manufacturers, right? All the all yeah. the uh, all, not the the teams, right? From one hill in in in. Uh, well, okay, so it's this, but they're not in Fishers, Indiana. They're in Brownsburg, or they're in Speedway, or they're in Zionsville. You know, they're not. It just was a strange location. And then McLaren's building a big twenty-five million dollar, what seemed like big at the time, twenty-five million dollar facility up in Lebanon, but it's still. You still make the cases on the northwest side of town. So, mm. uh, but you know, lots of neat investments going on. That's Ray Hall's just opening, finishing up their shop in Zionsville. Now, Graham Ray Hall's announced an equally large project of his own that'll be across the street from the Ray Hall shop for his Ducati dealership and his exotic car business and, and, you know, coffee shops and whatever. But for all the, for all the hand, for all the hand wringing about not being able to afford a new chassis. Will they be selling over a hell of a lot of money? Yeah, I know. Will they be saying selling overpriced Nikes curb uh, at any of these places? Yeah, Um, I doubt that. But you can get a really nice Ducati bike there at the at the Ray Hall building. Possibly wear your overpriced Nikes while driving it and wrecking it and eventually killing yourself. Um, Okay, a little bit of a head scratcher. Curb, uh, before we get into Portland picks, do you want to? And I know you're going on a long overseas trip so it might be a while before we talk again um is there anything you wanted to get off your chest before you a take that trip and b pick for portland what do you think about uh david malukas performance and the potential impact on his uh short-term career here well it upset me because i was within a hair's breadth of putting twenty dollars on him to finish in the top five um so that would have been good money for me um yeah as it is with my betting i basically broke even i did put money down on new garden but that just basically brought me to even it was a a seminal moment is that the right way to put it curb in his career i think so sounds like it yep um i think this is going to be one of those races where uh yeah he he really made a change for himself and i i think you know people there's always flavor of the day performances in racing. You know, Renus VK was the hottest thing since sliced bread. You know, you know, we we you could point out a thousand instances, right, where it's like there one moment, gone the next. But this one felt a little bit more permanent to me, a little bit more, you know, uh, had a bit more uh, permanence to it. And uh, as far as putting his name on the map and a place in IndyCar, and, and it's not just this performance. It's kind of all the performances of, of, of late that led up to that. Just kind of put the uh, exclamation point on it. Some time ago, Del Coyne kind of semi-confirmed that these guys would return with his program next year. But lately, I don't know if it's Malukas has been doing it or the press has been doing it, but they've kind of been teasing that he might still be available if uh, one of the big boys came calling. And now they're kind of intimating that maybe he's on standby for the Palau seat. What do you see in all that? Uh, I haven't really been picking up on that. I My my mail is that he's back at coin next year. Well, it is. Uh, his dad does co-own the team, I think, or is an investor in his yeah, eyes, so, so So from that standpoint, maybe there's, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know, he might he might have an out in the sense that, you know, 
his dad might say, yeah, go ahead, you know, break the contract. I don't care. Go, go, go try freaking Nassie. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you know, that could happen. So I, it, who knows the inner workings, but uh, I, like I said, my mail is he's back there next year and, and maybe that's what he should do, you know, and kind of really set himself up for the next round. And then, uh, and then, you know, set a real baseline for him to, to cut himself a really good deal for next year yeah. or the year after next year. Well, the future looks bright for him, and I, I will give you credit. I will give you credit. You uh, you picked Malukas out as a uh, as one to watch at the beginning of the year, and I I poo pooed you for sure, and uh, you've turned out to be right. Um, Portland, your uh, turn to go first, I think. Tough one this time, Curb. Of course, you know you reflexively say Joseph Newgarden, wouldn't you? But I got to tell you, I don't. I'm not feeling the Newgarden. Uh, for Portland, I think last year was a strong Ganassi track, wasn't it? Strong Ganassi track, not terrible for Andretti either. Actually, uh, I want to say Alex Plow. Cannot fault you. All right, I'm going to sound like you, but I'm going to I'm going to have to go with Dixon on this one. Okay. Will Power, highly motivated to do well. Fast qualifier on the track, not necessarily last year, but the the year that they ran before, which I think was 19. All right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll take new go on this one. New yeah. yeah. You can't, you can't leave them out there much longer. And Herda. Herda for you. And I'm going to feel like McLaughlin is the shiny new toy. So I'm going to go with him. Okay. Uh, leaving out, uh, Rossi from your consideration. Yeah, that's too, uh, too far. Too much on the, there. too much on the hits on the miss side. Out of the hit or miss equation this year. Yeah, that's um, a good point. That's a good point. I think what well, Scotty M won at Mid Ohio, right? I mean, I would think that would equate fairly well to a track like Portland. Um, yeah. So go that route. I think uh, Erickson would have been a good call too, but I'm going to stick with McLaughlin on this one. All right. Well, I think the those are pretty good. I mean, I think it's, we don't have odds, so it's a little too early. I think any of those guys, if they're you know, middling qualifying that pushes their odds uh, out a little bit, you know, maybe one to consider. And like I said, I, I think if uh, you got to watch the guy who's going to be fast kind of every session at Portland, I think. I think that's a track that, you know, if you've if you got a guy that's consistently top five every session, that's that's the guy I'm going to try and bet on. Can't go wrong there. Hopefully he just has a hiccup in qualifying to, to sweeten the odds for you a little bit. A little bit. Yep, exactly. All right, Curb, on that, I wish you a bond voyage. I hope you have a great trip. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, Twitter. At Hero, H-I-R-O, IndyCar. At Hero IndyCar. There you go. All right, everybody, have a good uh, next week and a half and enjoy the race. And um, at the worst, I'll get to you before Laguna Seca, right? That's, a, that's the last race of the year. Are you going to make a last-minute trip out there, Curb, to be uh, attendee 3001? Uh, no, I don't think I'll be making Laguna second this year. <laughs> Me either. Me either. Yeah. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening.